Good morning, everybody. I'm Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto, broadcasting from Leander, Texas. This is episode 491. Uh, for those of you who are watching the YouTube and the YouTube, I put the definite article on the front of it. You know, the internet, the YouTube, the Twitter, the the interwebs. Um, yeah. And, and um, for those of you who are listening to the audio podcast, I think this is episode 163, maybe? I don't know. I don't keep track anymore. Um, I still haven't gotten to 500, episode 500. It's just because I've been um, doing this show less frequently. I've been super busy with a lot of other stuff, with Crypto Sapiens, with the Journo DAO. Um, so, yeah, man, lots of stuff moving and going. This is my, my um, brain dump. This is my message in a bottle. And this is my sandbox to be able to play around with all things audiovisual and Web3 and crypto and to just learn, to just learn. And this is the result of, of it and me experimenting around. So anyway, ah, yeah, so um, I don't really keep up with prices anymore. But uh, let's go over here to the old CoinGecko and take a look. Um, if you aren't that familiar with crypto or Web3, you know, a lot of people just think of crypto as like scams and you know just a horrible way to throw away your money, kind of like uh, multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes. And uh, you know there is a lot of crap in there, and there are a lot of scams in crypto. And this is what what happens with innovation. You know, there's there's um, innovation that happens, and then come the grifters and the scammers. And before things become institutional and curated, there is a lot of crap, and you have to take it upon yourself and you take personal responsibility to sift through all that crap and really find the beautiful, amazing, innovative stuff that happens. And that was the same way when the internet first started too, you know? Um, and then the institutions came in and they centralized things. And now they own you and your data and you're basically a slave to those institutions. So that's what happens. It's this constant centralization, decentralization through innovation. And then the masses have to catch up. So there's centralized actors that come in there and aggregate all that stuff and curate that stuff. But then they get too much power and control. So then another need of this pendulum needs to push back towards decentralization centralization to innovate again so it's this constant just like decentralization centralization decentralization centralization tension going back and forth all the time and that's what we are dealing with now we are dealing with another wave of decentralization to get away from the centralized entities like facebook and twitter and youtube and all these these uh, internet technological giants who are just like scooping gulping up our data and basically we are the product and uh yeah and now censoring us and using that against us and controlling our opinions through algorithms and dividing us as a people and a nation, you know? And uh, it's time to decentralize everything and to take it back. But in doing so, you have to take responsibility for that decentralization. One of the main mottos and tenets of crypto in general is not your keys, not your crypto. And there are a lot of grifters and projects, in quotes, that'll come around and try to say, yeah, we'll take care of that for you. We know that crypto is a crazy place and just let us take custody and control of all your tokens. And, you know, we'll make sure that you make bank, you make 100x returns, you know, don't believe it, man. Take responsibility, learn about finance. This is what this has been about for me uh, through Web3 and crypto. I've learned about you know finance. I've learned about programming and technology. I've learned about game theory. Uh, I've learned about psychology, you know, and philosophy. I mean, there's just so many different aspects, law, legal aspects uh, of tax and everything that, uh, that go into this crypto and Web3 space. And so it's been an exciting road. I started this October 24th, 2020. 
And I just decided to flip on the YouTube and kind of lean on some old audiovisual skills that I had picked up in New York back in 2005. And, uh, you know, I just started learning again. And uh, this is so far the result of it. I got involved in DAOs and, and now I've been in the Bankless DAO since it started. I'm heavily involved in Journo DAO now, the Republic DAO, uh, which is data ownership. You know, so I'm a Crypto Sapiens podcast, which focuses on people and their journeys through the crypto space. So there's a lot of stuff going on and it's super exciting. And I know there's a bear market right now and I don't care, you know, like it's not about price for me anymore. It started out about price, you know, like, you know, I used to drink a lot when I <laughs> back in 2018. And basically I saw Bitcoin as another way to kind of, you know, maintain that beer money stream. But, you know, I haven't drinking since for three years now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not about that anymore. It, I learned about DeFi and about how to take control of your own finances and not be nickel and dime to death by your, by your bank and financial institutions, you know, and to eliminate things like social credit systems. And even the, the current traditional tr credit system is just terrible. You know, you're never in control of your own credit system. And they hang that over to, you You know, that commercial, the insurance commercial, the little, the fisherman, oh, you almost got it, you know, with the, the old fisher guy, you know, dangling the dollar in front of somebody. You know, that's all the credit system is now. You know, they just basically leverage that that credit on you to to, to do make make you do their bidding, you know, and you don't have to be locked into that system. Not if you if you learn to legitimately and, and correctly use the crypto way of life, the web three way of life, to decentralize your finances, to decentralize your identity, to decentralize everything. And I know you still have to use banks for on-ramps um, to be able to get a lot of crypto and so to get crypto in general. Um, or you can you can mine crypto through proof of work. And you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, proof of work uses too much energy. You know, you, ah, they, they trash proof of work. But there's something to be said for something that is so democratic that anybody who knows how to basically spin up some kind of mining rig can mine their own money, you know, and they can do it pretty cheaply. I mean, I have two little GPUs on this computer. I can mine Ethereum, you know, and I can, well, not anymore. Ethereum went proof of stake, but I can mine other tokens and, and then I can swap it out for other tokens and then build it up. I don't know. Just anybody can do that. Or you can now participate in DAOs and you can participate in tasks and bounties and earn crypto that way without ever having to transfer dollars over into the crypto world. So there can be no trace of you ever having crypto if you if you really want to do it that way. Um, every once in a while, when whenever things are down, I will still buy some crypto, but I don't do it as much as I used to. When I first got into crypto, I was like a Boy Scout collecting all the merit badges of all the tokens and white papers that I read because it was always like the, the amazing. Every project was just mind blowing just because I read a white paper, you know, but then you see the practical implications, of a lot of this stuff. And it just, you know, a lot of them are rug pulls, which means, you know, they have token sales and stuff like that. They sell their NFTs and you get all excited about, Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Here's our roadmap. And you, you, you get all worked up about the hype of it all. And it's like, this is amazing new technology. This is like insurance, but it's decentralized insurance, you know? And then, you know, there's like immediate returns whenever a natural disaster happens and uh, you know or just some use case like that you know and it just ends up 
once they've done their initial token sale, they use use their liquidity, they cash out, and the project just disappears. Vaporware, you know. And there's a lot of that going on, and I've gotten caught in that too, you know. And I'm just as guilty. So I don't know. Yeah, you get into crypto, you first learn about this stuff, and there's like this horseshoe effect. You know, you dive in deep, you collect like a plethora of tokens because you're amazed by every single white paper and project, and then you realize most of them are scams, then you come back up for air, and you really only stick, I've only stick nowadays to like Bitcoin and Ethereum. (laughs) I got a few other tokens, like I get some DAO tokens from doing DAO work, like, you know, the bank token. But, uh, you know, like... Yeah, I've, I've really narrowed it down to just a few. I, I still like Chainlink, you know, um, but uh, yeah, it's, this is like this this horseshoe effect. You know, you dive deep and you come back up. You know, it's a, it's a maturation process, perhaps. I don't know. But the point is, is I'm not into it for money anymore. There's It's the technology and the exploration of this technology and the experimental aspect of it that really attracts me. So let's look at some of the prices, though. Uh, so Bitcoin is at $20,870. Um, it's, it's ups. Everything is pretty much up in the past week. So crypto's had a pump. I haven't really paid attention to why. Um, Ethereum, it went from proof of work to proof of stake um, not too long ago. It's up 25.4% in the past seven days. It didn't spike up like a lot of people were advertising it would you know and anybody who has like a stable head on their shoulders would knew that it wasn't going to just spike up because it suddenly went to proof of stake it's not what happens um but uh you know it's it's going up you know and i I believe that they're they are now burning tokens at a faster rate than they're being produced so yeah i don't know maybe it's deflationary and then i don't know i'm not the pro on that type of stuff and then let's see here down down here dogecoin is up 102.4 percent just a meme coin but the fact that Elon Musk is now actively the current uh, uh, owner of Twitter, uh, I believe Twitter already has the edit button on it. Finally, you know, like it, it was so annoying to be able to put a tweet up and then not be able to edit it. And then so maybe that happened now. Um, I don't know how I feel about Elon Musk taking control of Twitter. I mean, the, could this be good for for crypto? Could this be good for Web3? You know, are NFTs now going to be implemented on Twitter? A lot of this stuff, because I know that, you know, um, he's pretty bullish on crypto. Uh, as far as free speech and all that is concerned, I don't know, man. Is suddenly we're going to suddenly see this like wave of hate speech all, all over Twitter? I don't know. I know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think people just need to choose whether or not to engage in a lot of this hate speech and just, you know, a lot of it can, can censor itself out, you know, and that's just my opinion on it. I don't think we need like a council of people to decide what is hate speech or not. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an open world, you know, and even when you go out in public, you'll see people and, and things and words and stuff like that, that are distasteful and that are, that are sometimes harmful, you know, and, you stay away from that stuff, you know, and the less attention it gets, the better. So I don't know. That's up to you guys. It's, it's you know, everybody has their own personal views on it. I, I don't really know how I feel about it. I don't, I don't know enough about it, honestly. But uh, yeah, anyway, I guess that's my little take on that. So we just yesterday at Crypto Sapiens, we published our first video podcast. And if you're not familiar with the Crypto Sapiens podcast, it is a podcast that came out of the Bankless DAO podcast hatchery. Um, I was one of the founders of the podcast hatchery. There's a group of us that decided we were in the AV guild there that decided we wanted to help 
um, empower and engage people to be able to build their own podcasts. And we did. And Crypto Sapiens was the prototype that came out of that. Uh, Humpty Calderon was the lead of that and the originator. And um, I'm, I'm still one of, I think I'm one of the only, I think I am the only original person left. Um, but, you know, we have a great team now and uh, putting out a lot of good podcasts. They've all been audio up to this day. Go to cryptosapiens.xyz. And then today, we, yesterday, we put out our first video podcast. And uh, here is a little audio, a videogram for that. And I'll play that real quick. You know, the big challenge is like, how do we actually build collaborations? Like right now, the only way we've really done it in crypto is for people to buy stuff together. And even then, they're not even usually buying it together. They're just buying the same thing. Like a bunch of people buy the same community token. Maybe you can get them to buy the same NFT uh, and, and join together as a community to buy it. But but so much of our principles of like community that we talk about are just co-ownership and co-buying. And that's a really lame form of friendship. <laughs> like, sorry, but like buying something is probably the end state of a relationship. You know, you don't start off with a partner buying things together. And, you know, that's where you end up once you've become partners, and you've gotten a house. Um, and that point, it becomes really valuable to be able to buy things together and have that joint bank account. But like before you get there, what you really want is like relationship building and you want activities and you want to, you know, be, before you have moved in with your partner and, and bought a new house, you want to play board games with them. You want to go out and watch a movie together. You want to tell jokes with each other. You want to tell about, you know, each other's family history and your lives and like what you felt. And you want to sing songs at karaoke together, you know, like, like you want to go dancing together. Like, like these are, these are all the things that we haven't done hmm. in in DAOs. And so, yeah, like, it, you know, the unlock would be the meme that like people can co-create, you know, it, it, it's really, it's really giving people opportunities to collaborate in a relationship building way rather than a buying way um, that I think will unlock those co-buying opportunities long, long term. So yeah, that's an excerpt from the David Phelps interview. And David Phelps is a writer about all things Web3. He's um, one of the founders of JokeDAO, EcoDAO, Collab the Cal Fund, and stuff like that to help uh, basically bring awareness and collaboration in the DAO culture. You know, and yeah, for collaborative creation. But uh, it was a really good interview, and it was our first video interview to publish. So after this, Crypto Sapiens will be all video. But he makes a great point, you know, like. A lot of crypto is about people all bonding together to buy stuff together. And then you get in these Discord groups, these Telegram groups, these DAOs, and it's all focused around the token all the time. You know, how many 100x can we get? You know, oh, yeah, you know, we got to pump it, pump our bags, pump our bags, fatty bags, you know. And uh, it, he's saying, no, man, if you're in a relationship with somebody, if you're in a collaboration with somebody, it shouldn't be about like buying something together. That's not what people do in a relationship. What people do in a relationship is they get to know each other. They play games together. They enjoy spending time with each other. You know, they learn about their family, their kids, the things they enjoy doing. They, you know, they sing karaoke together. They, they, they play board games together. They skateboard together and stuff like that. And then they'd be like, man, I, and then that builds trust. It builds a relationship. And then from there, people might collaborate together. And from that collaboration, they might end up buying something together to work on that collaboration and then create returns on that investment through collaboration. And that is what is missing in a lot of DAOs and crypto projects and stuff like that. Everybody just wants to pump their bags. And if that's all you're in for is just buying a token or, or group buying a bunch of NFTs together, then you are basically just a shill group, you know? And uh, that's it. So that 
that, that, that's, that's uh, basically what he's trying to say. You know, everybody's got it backwards, you know. You, and that's one thing that I love about um, the Bankless DAO. Like, and I've been providing, like, some, you know, kind of unofficial consulting to some other DAOs and, you know, how to form, like, you know, guilds and stuff like that. And they're like, how do you form these guilds? You know, and I'm like, well, man, like, in the AV guild, like, we just started meeting together and we were consistent about it. And we didn't have an agenda. We just met, we knew we were meeting once a week, Wednesday at three o'clock. And that's what time we got together. We all made sure we were at our computers together at the same time. And we would talk about audiovisual stuff and how we can use that audiovisual stuff in our skills and what people were good at what types of things in order to build something that would build up the group and, and build up the DAO to be able to create a media DAO and what that looked like and how that was done. But in the process of that, we had conversations. We talked about ourselves. We talked about each other. We found out, you know, what people are good at, what people are bad at, what what worries people, what makes people happy, you know, where they are from, things like that. And we got, and I've made friends, online friends through these DAOs. It's a lot of them I've visited personally, in person. And, you know, now I consider a lot of them friends and it would have never happened without this common interest in decentralizing stuff, not for making a profit, but for the decentralization and personal autonomy and liberty of everything that's going on. And for just this, this enthusiasm for innovation and technology. So yes, relationships have formed. And as a result, now we've created products, you know, we've created podcasts, we've created platforms, we've created videos and, and stuff like that. And now people, and then so we've gotten money and grants because of that. And, you know, we've been able to, to provide and fulfill bounties that'll pay us for our work. So the money is coming secondary instead of primary. You know, it's not shill group first. It's, it's, passion and desire first so here's the tweet that i said unless you're a shill group don't buy stuff together early in a relationship the same should apply to dows have fun together first i love what he is saying here and i loved working on the video production for this episode crypto sapiens is now a video video podcast so yeah that's my little spiel on that um and then also i got accepted to this alchemy university um this is um, another kind of experimental i guess you know Academy that's coming out to help teach people how to develop web three apps and stuff like that. So um, it's been interesting, you know, and we'll see what this Alchemy University um, uh, ends up being. Um, but I like this, you know, it's another uh, passion project by a lot of people to help teach people how to innovate and take responsibility for themselves and to use web three for themselves and to not rely on some centralized top down entity to own all your data and to own you and then, you know, make you a slave to that system. And so, yeah, the more you learn about this stuff, the less of a slave you'll be. And I've always been interested in decentralized media. I had to kind of flex with this little picture here that I took back in 2007. Uh, I flew out from Austin, Texas to Free Radio Berkeley, uh, led by Stephen Dunifer uh, and, and um, over in Oakland, where I built my own FM radio transmitter there and I learned how to do it and solder all those circuits on there. Then I brought the kit back with me to Austin and I had my own FM radio station because he was all about decentralized media back then. You know, and this is before we even, because he saw the problem of centralized media happening and that 90% of of uh, all media is owned by five corporations, you know? So if you could create all these micro radio stations that are decentralized and let communities speak for themselves instead of the top down speaking for communities, 
then we would have more representation of everybody in the United States being able to speak for their own communities instead of this top-down divisive structure that we have currently pitting everybody against each other. So that brings to mind a lot of the stuff that I've been doing in JournoDAO because that's what JournoDAO is. So when you have this top-down centralization happening in media, you create what are called media deserts. At, at some point, all the small stations and all the small media outlets go out of business because they can't afford to stay open. And then you know, the only way you can get funding a lot of times is through large top-down centralized entities. And they end up basically uh, either directly or indirectly controlling your entire narrative and what you say. So there's the agenda setting theory. And what the agenda setting theory is, if you've ever seen like a newspaper or a website and you see how much real estate, like some picture or a headline um, has on a, on a newspaper or website, that, that amount, the, 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 the headline or the topic or the subject or whatever it is that takes up the most real estate on that is basically setting the agenda. You know, and uh, Noam Chomsky also talked about this as well. And um, I mean, it's just that 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 is kind of a way of controlling the narrative. And then when that narrative is controlled from a top down centralized entity, you create division in local communities between people who are relying on that news source and the reality of their own dang community. You know, like a lot of times that conflicts with what we're being told from these top down centralized institutions. And so, yeah. And so we get division and we get division on a local and community level. And then a lot of those um, media outlets that don't necessarily go, necessarily go along with that, they lose funding, they go out of business and it creates media deserts. And then those media deserts, that's basically a, a county you know, or an, a state or an area that only has like one newspaper or one news outlet or zero. There are a lot, even in nor Northern New Mexico where one of the, the founders of JournoDAO lives, um, he has zero media news outlets up there, you know, in a lot of counties. So that's insane. So this is what JournoDAO is trying to do is they're trying to allow journalists and media outlets to be able to fund themselves outside of the of the centralized ecosystem, the top-down ecosystem run by the, the large corporations, the top five corporations that own 90% of the media. That's what uh, JournoDAO is trying to do is to circumvent that situation and to allow journalists to be empowered to basically become their own entrepreneurs using Web3 tools, you know, to create decentralized newsrooms, on-chain reporting, um, to hold themselves accountable, to make sure that there's no fake news coming out, and to also create a, an anti-censorship trail as well. So you can't censor something that's that's immutable on the blockchain and then tokenize ownership of this stuff and then peer-to-peer -peer distribution of that stuff so it doesn't not have to go through the centralized editors and so it allows you know journalists to yeah decentralize from the from the top-down media so this is not something new this is something that has been uh, attempted before by the civil token project and i when I went to the ONA conference in Los Angeles and I learned a lot about journalism there and kind of just like what things journalists are concerned about because I'm an out of the loop guy coming in, you know, being like, hey, I'm coming from a Web3 background and, and trying to learn about what this stuff is about. You know, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, like stating the obvious or just, you know, I don't know, you know, like a total amateur coming into a field of professionals. So I was there to basically just kind of listen, even though I did kind of speak with with um, Eric and Keith, you know, about Web three to the journalists. But um, 
Yeah, I, 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 a lot of the journalists say, well, hasn't this been done before with the civil token? That's a total failed project. And I believe that the only reason it failed is because um, they had a token sale at the beginning. They didn't sell enough tokens and it was ahead of its time. You know, like the world wasn't ready for it yet, you know, and journalism wasn't ready for it yet. A lot of journalists now are even only beginning to understand a lot of Web2 applications and like how to use Substack properly and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's it wasn't quite there, but let me go to this civil website and uh, they make a lot of really good points. Like I've been going back and studying what civil was and what civil was, was a way to like create some standards of journalism. But let's look at this article. Journalism, this was written in like 2018, I believe, or 2017. Anyway, journalism's funding model is broken. Here's how we propose fixing it. So don't let me speak for this. I'll, I'll read this article. So at Civil, we're incredibly passionate about promoting a new model for journalism. If you feel the same way, okay, be sure to sign up. Well, it's too late to sign up now because the project doesn't exist anymore. Anyway, the problem. Uh, journalism's industry is in crisis. Good journalism, in quotes, and making money in quotes, are no longer synonymous. So that's true. You know, you have, is journalism a public good or is journalism a business? You know, and a lot of people would debate back and forth. Like you can't have journalism without the money to be able to get the staff and the equipment and everything needed to run a newsroom, you know. But then once you're dependent on that source of money, is that really journalism? Because you can't say anything bad about the source. You can't, you know, you can't investigate or interrogate the hand that feeds you, you know? <laughs> so yeah, so anyway, good journalism and making money are no longer synonymous. Uh, publishers confront, confronted, publishers, sorry, publishers confronted with the harsh business realities of the digital age cannot rely on ad revenue to sustain them as it did during print journalism's reign. So print journalism relied on ad revenue. So does web journalism. Still a lot of times relies on ad revenue. But if you create, if you need to make money to keep your your website alive, you know, you depend on those clicks. Well, how are you going to get those clicks? Well, you get those clicks by creating clickbait, sensational headlines, sensational stories, stories that generate that clicks because if you don't, you're going to go broke, you know? And so if you don't create that clickbait, you know, if you just do some investigative project about maybe some water supply issues, then it, it doesn't have any type of drama. It's like facts. You know, it's going to be dry. It probably won't create a lot of clicks. And if, you know, that'll probably get buried and it'll get lost and it won't build your news outlet money, you know. And so, therefore, you can no longer continue. So, it creates this flywheel effect. Anyway, so yeah, so today, just five corporations control more than 90% of American media outlets, a phenomenon that's similarly playing out around the world. The vast majority of media outlets are controlled by a microscopic concentration of elites and their respective interests is beyond alarming. Absolutely. Journalism is increasingly becoming more of a profit vehicle than a pillar of democracy. Public trust in media is unsurprisingly at an all-time low. And this is even before all the, the you know, the pandemic and all that crap, you know, like already, you know, a lot of people were losing trust in the media before the pandemic. And then they've seen all the flip-flop opinions on the pandemic and the cure for it and all this other stuff. And, you know, I don't even want to say the, the V word, but, you know, it, it's created now, even after 
this article came out well before that, you know? And so if it was already that distrust was at an all-time low, you can imagine what it is now. So anyway, this toxic media environment comes at a time when we as a society are more divided than ever before. A growing number of journalism outlets have mirrored this trend. Instead of being an objective voice that rallies us around the facts, many are opting to pander to polar extremes at either end of the political spectrum with a sensationalist headlines designed to maximize page views. Credibility be damned. This model is the antithesis of good journalism, but it works. People like echo chambers. They're generally more interested in finding stories that conform, confirm existing beliefs than seeking out alternative perspective a problem that social media is making worse. Um, it's an extremely dangerous precedent for an industry intended to be civil society's bulwark against governmental overreach and corruption. It marks a threat to not only journalism, but democracy itself. This has to change. By and large, journalism runs on a dated, broken business model that relies largely on ad revenue. Hard-hitting investigative stories that expose mass corruption, which can take months to report, simply don't pay the bills as they once did. Few publications can afford the pro to produce such content anymore, and the number of those that can is constantly dwindling. And so we find ourselves mired in a digital media environment focused more on Kardashians and the best burger listicles <laughs> than hard-hitting journalism. So our solution, this is Civil's solution back in 2018. Civil aims to turn this broken model on its head. We're doing so by taking advertisers out of the equation and introducing a new operating model for journalism that makes newsmakers accountable to their readership alone. Not advertisers, not publishers, not billionaires, owners, just readers. Civil is not a publication itself, but a platform on which newsmakers can be found and run their own independent newsrooms, which in turn collectively benefit from the larger community's growth and interconnectivity. But another way, Civil is the canvas on which journalists can paint the future of their industry. To do so, we're focused on one of on four core pillars. One, attract great journalists. Great journalism starts with great journalists, and there's an abundance of incredibly and talented, talented reporters currently seeking jobs. We want to be a platform that enables a new, more effective operating model, and then get out of the way as they build their own communities and report on stories most relevant to their individual newsroom communities. To make this water model work, you must think like journalists. We need to appreciate and anticipate their greatest needs. With that in mind, we've hired and partnered with journalists like newsmakers and you know, like Politico and DNA Info and B to oversee the operations. Okay, anyway, that's how they were doing it. And then, okay, the second pillar. So first is attract great journalists. Second is use tech to give journalists control of the funding model. So anybody will be able to apply to launch a newsroom on Civil. To do so, they'll need to demonstrate an ethical journalistic mission to share their roster of collaborators and share a viable, sustainable business model. The community will vote via Civil tokens. So the Civil tokens, uh, yeah, they give credibility to a journalist, but they allow people to vote in the community and if a prospective newsroom is accepted, it will gain publishing rights on civil. So what that civil token allows people to do is to vote about which platforms and which which newsrooms or journalists will be accepted into the civil fold. And that kind of seems a little centralized and exclusionary to me because if you're not going along with you know what the large token holder stake in civil, you know, is down with, then you're not going to be a part of it and you'll be excluded. So, but at least it's not just some kind of, you know, greasing palms, you know, uh, centralized owned by corporations type of entity. At least it's decentralized in the fact that anybody could buy the civil token and be a civil token holder, you know? So 
and that could be anybody. So it's decentralized in that way. So if when approved by the community, newsrooms will retain full business and editorial autonomy, civil will never meddle in a newsroom's business model. It'll be up to them to determine which model is best for their base. Subscription models, meter paywalls, 100% paywalls, 100% ungated content, always on pledge drives, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so yeah, um, it's the token element that enables civil to eliminate the middlemen. Uh, third-party publishers, advertisers from the equation while maintaining a reliable, secure model. All token transactions applying to launch a newsroom, challenging a newsroom for being unethical, voting on outstanding challenges, are they're, they're recorded on the Ethereum blockchain. And so it talks about what Ethereum is, a giant network of independent community. All right. uh, as new transactions occur, becoming a member of a newsroom, micro-tipping an article, posting a story, this digital letter ledger is simultaneously simultaneously updated across ethereum all right so yeah this means that the information is stored by the public not concentrated on a single server controlled by amazon facebook and google and so impossible to alter without achieving the consensus of millions of users independent users worldwide um, i still don't understand how they're going to be able to make that money unless i guess you know people buying civil increases the value of it um, so anyway, build an impassioned community where market. So that's pillar two. So pillar one, attract great journalists. Pillar two, use tech to give journalists control the funding model. Three, build an impassioned community where a marketplace for journalism, writing it, reading it, reacting to it and supporting it. As civil's larger community grows, so too does the reach and value of each individual newsroom. Our initial focus is to serve the three areas of journalism that have been hardest hit by two plus decades of newspaper closures and mass layoffs, local investigative and policy journalism. We believe there's an incredible demand for more coverage in each of these fields because that doesn't really pay. Local investigative and policy journalism doesn't pay. People care more about the Kardashians, right? So we believe there's an incredible demand for more coverage in each of these fields. So we're told that we need to be concerned about Game of Thrones and Kardashians. But what people really need to know, and if they would just get more of it, is what's going on around them. Maybe some investigative journalism. And the problem is, is there's a void for that investigative journalism. So crackpots on like YouTube can come up with these crazy theories. You know, I'm not, I'm not dogging conspiracy theories. Like I love conspiracy theories. You know, I love getting people to think out of the box and you know to ask the the, the crazy questions because I ask crazy questions my, myself. But if that's your only source, then that's a problem. So if you could get journalists, legit journalists, to start asking those questions as well with their skills that they have developed over the years, you know, that they went to school for, to college for, for four years of college and two years of master's degree and a lot of times, you know, to, to learn critical thinking and invest, investigative journalism and apply those skills to some of these questions that are being asked by the crackpots and the amateurs, then that would be a great thing. So anyway, um, so yeah, you know, so uh, uh, there's just a divide that's been created that's discredited the average person, you know, by these people who look down at them on the, down their nose. You know, when a lot of times these average, you know, local people are doing some good journalism. So join together you know here you know so anyway the, the the one of the point here we're in this together civil will go as far as its community which is why readers or citizens will have the option to purchase tiered memberships in individual newsrooms so this is where the citizen and the journalist 
kind of get together. We want to give citizens a voice in journalism again and to foster a more direct connection between citizen and newsmaker. Similarly, we want to provide better mechanisms for newsmakers to inspire credibility so that their readers are confident the news they're reading is based on verifiable facts. And that's where the professionalism of journalism, the people who went through journalism school, come through because they can sniff out for verifiable facts but then they can still investigate some of this local investigative and policy stuff that people want to hear about. That, that's a complete void right now because the actual paid journalists are spending too much time focusing on the Kardashians, you know? Focus, anyway, <laughs> we believe that this is the best course to help restore the public or divisive politics, you know? We believe that this is the best course to help restore the public's trust in journalism while also enabling more journalists to focus on writing truly impactful stories. So the, the fourth pillar, so we have, um, we have attract great journalists, use tech to give journalists control of the funding model, build an impassioned community, and then four, grant full editorial autonomy to newsrooms. Don't meddle, you know, because a lot of these corporations are, are, uh, that are collecting the money for these ads, you know, that are funding these newsrooms, that are sponsoring these newsrooms by running these ads, you know, by... They're suddenly now trying meddling in there saying, you need to write an article about this. You need to write an article about that. Oh, you said this. We're going to have to cut that out because that goes against you know, our advertisers and that's our source of funding. Yeah, man. So, oh, we can't write this hard-hitting investigative project because we have to write about um, you know, what the celebrity in Game of Thrones is doing in their private life, you know. So, because <laughs> that's what gets the the clicks, you know. That celebrity in Game of Thrones that gets the clicks, and that's what pays our bills. So we have to to give that our our, our space on our website instead of this current project about what's going in our water you know <laughs> if we've learned anything from the current dire state of the journalism industry is that editorial autonomy is key for newsrooms to grow and thrive it's also an exceptionally rare commodity a newsroom's top priority should be serving its state of mission not the bottom line driven interests of advertisers and publishers so yeah man you know, civics will provide basics ethics guidelines to ensure that no newsroom becomes a bastion of hate speech or trolling. That's good. And we will always provide services and support on the technical and operations sides. It's definitely a novel concept compared to traditional journalism operating model. And it's precisely what's enabling us to attract some of the most talented journalists on the market. So yes, man, that's what civil was all about. Um, kind of gives you an idea. Um, the problem is, is they had a token and they had an initial token offering uh, an ICO, um, and a lot of people, it, it, uh, not a lot of people bought the token, and it was kind of ahead of its time. A lot of journalists didn't understand it, you know, didn't know what it was good for, couldn't wrap the idea of this platform around their head. And yeah, I just think it was ahead of its time. It was partnered with Consensus, who was its largest to token holder. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that was that. <laughs> Um, but JournoDAO is starting it again and they're not doing an, an initial token offering, you know, they're, they're not doing an airdrop. Um, but, uh, it journal, JournoDAO right now is kind of at this point where we're experimenting. Um, we're trying to figure out how this space can work together. Uh, we're consulting, teaching, bringing awareness about Web3 to journalists, how they can use some of these tools, how journalists can figure out how to own their own data. Uh, through something like uh, Re Republic DAO, uh, Republic IO is is you know, basically a project that allows you to um, have a dashboard for your own data. 
And so when you think about this in like a journalistic point of view, you know, so like you have Apple and you have Facebook and you have you know Google and all these huge technological giants collecting all your data and they're selling your data. They give you the service, right? And I've used this analogy a few times. I heard it on a podcast, like uh, you have a washing machine guy come in and repair your washer machine, right? And that washing machine person comes in your house, they fix your washing machine, they say it's free of charge. And you say, well, I would have paid for it. Like, oh, that's no problem. You know, you don't have to pay for it. I walked around your house and I took photos of everything in your house. I know what you like. I know what your interests are, you know. And so, therefore, I have all that information that I can use and give it to advertisers so they know how to target ads to you now. So, I made a lot more money off of that information about you than I did fixing your washing machine. So, it's on the house. You're like, no, man, I'll pay for my damn... No, give me back my data. So, that's what we're facing right now. And nothing is free. So, if you if it's free, you're the product. So that's what Republic is doing. It's giving you a dashboard for your own data, for your dataverse. You know, everyone wants your data because it's useful to them. But when's the last time it was useful to you? Republic is here to show you what in the world sees in your data. So this gets back to journalism. So if you're a journalist and you're collecting all this data and you're going out there and you're doing hard-hitting investigative journalism and you're collecting this data, that data a lot of times now becomes stored in, in like a your own little database you can use that data that you've collected and you can you can curate it and you can sell that data, you know, your data. And I was talking to a motion graphic artist last night you know, and he works for Apple and he makes ins instructional videos. He can't use those instructional videos on his own website as his own reel, as his own portfolio because that's not his. Because he works full-time for Apple, that... Everything that he's created belongs to Apple. But what if he was able to take ownership of all that stuff and he was able to use that on his portfolio, on his reel, in order to find other work, you know, to show what he's done and things like that, you know, rather than have, yes, yeah, to have to create everything that he does from scratch. So imagine if a journalist, when they're writing articles for, for a newspaper or something, that they can take that article and... and you know, they own that. So anytime that that article is used, they could sell that article to other people and stuff like that. You know, they could sell the information on it. It could become part of their own social graph and everything like that. You know, yeah. So uh, imagine a scenario too, like uh, WikiLeaks, you know, say you don't, you want to remain anonymous and you're providing some very sensitive data, something that would incriminate a politician, a corporation or something like that. And you don't want anybody to tie that back to you because you could lose your job. You could get killed, you know, if it's that sensitive, you know, or whatever. But you need think it's something that the public needs to know about. Well, using ZK proofs, you know, you could upload it to a platform that would hide your identity in an anonymity. But you're just not giving that data away in that marketplace where you're anonymous somebody could buy that data and that money, that to those tokens could come back to you without anybody knowing that it came back to you. So you've sold your data. So you're collecting data every single day of your life for everything you do on your phone, every Google search, every time you drive your car, you know, every time you order something on Amazon, anytime you watch something on Netflix, some data is being collected about you. Well, that data can, you can own that. That can all be uploaded to your own personal cloud. And then inside that cloud, you can authorize or not authorize companies, people, entities, whatever, to buy that data off of you. And they pay you for your data instead of them just taking it, you know? 
Because right now, at this point, all that data that is being collected about you is just being taken and used. You know, Or if you're an investigative journalist, you can't sell that data anonymously. And a lot of times you can't even give that data away without your name being attached to it too. So all this provides just so many different tools for you to, to as a journalist or even just as a personal individual to be able to to have control over your data. So what Republic is doing, and um, this one of the founders of JournoDAO is also the founder of Republic.io, it gives you unprecedented control over your data. So all the data that is captured by Republic's native apps, so Republic is a is is a protocol that you can build apps on. It, it, all the data that's captured by Republic's native apps goes into your own end-to-end -end encrypted cloud storage. Republic can't see your data and Republic doesn't want to see your data. So it allows you to, to, to aggregate all your data from tons of different devices that won't speak to each other you know, into one platform. It allows you to see that data and allows you to monetize off of that data and control who has who has or who does not have access to that data and you can get paid for it. So it's a bridge to the future. We're transitioning to a world where data monopolies are impossible rather than subconsciously fueling oppressive systems with the value we create, we create, we will be empowered by it. Anyway, Republic says it's hard to grasp that the data that has allowed us to be treated as inhuman nodes, because that's all we are right now is just in we're consumers. That's it. And that's why I quit grad school. And when I went to started doing business in grad school, I ended up going to seminary and I did that at grad school because we were just told that we were basically just consumers. And I was like, well, they're, they're the human beings, not consumers. Good. So yeah, it's hard to grasp that the data that has allowed us to be treated as inhuman nodes and in an extractive economy could actually actually be the path towards a more human future. So our data could help us towards a more human future. But it's true. Once people are empowered to accrue the monetary value of the data they, cre they create, so many of the inequalities that seem intractable start to reverse themselves. Everyone on Earth suddenly has a valuable asset that the market needs. Data autonomy circumvents many barriers that seem insurmountable today and simply makes them irrelevant. No government, company, or organization can put a stop to the vast decentralization that is already happening. Republic seems simply seems to accelerate the process. So what Republic is, it's not a company. It's not even a platform. It is a protocol that allows people to build apps to be able to to own their own data because AI right now, the AI is unstoppable. It's inevitable. AI is inevitable, but AI needs your data. You know, so as AI is slowly conquering the world, it can't exist without our data. So we are really the ones in control, you know, and if, if AI controls our data, they control us. But if we control our data, then we can control what we feed to the AI, right? And if we force AI to pay us for our data, then we are still the ones in control of AI, right? So we are at this crux right now. Are we going to let AI control us by controlling our data under a surveillance capitalist state? Or are we going to control our data and capitalize off of our data by selling it as food to AI? You know, AI needs a lot of data. And that's why AI hasn't really progressed up until this point, because we hadn't had the capability in order to create the big data that AI needs as food. But now that we do have the capability to create this big data that AI needs as food through IoT technology and stuff like that, 
Well, suddenly AI is growing in power and stature. Yeah, and it may be growing beyond our control if we don't wrangle in that control by controlling our own data and owning our data. And if we are paid for what we feed to the AI, then only then will we be able to remain the ones in control of our own destiny. Otherwise, you know, it's predestination versus free will. You know, if AI controls all our data, they AI controls predestination. You know, and we live in a predestined universe and world. But if if we control our own data, then we have free will. And we're not the ones being controlled and predestined by AI. So anyway, that being said, it is uh, time for me to sign off. I've been going on for 49 minutes. But um, yeah, just a lot of nuggets of stuff to think about. Go to journodow.xyz. Go to re-public.io. Um, and if you want to you know, just kind of see what civil token was about go to joincivil.com and you'll get to that article that i read and uh yeah man there's a lot of innovative amazing stuff happening right now it's not about token it's not about number go up when moon when can i buy my lamborghini lambo when lambo all that stuff this is this is about innovation and progress and this is about free will over predestination you know this is about personal autonomy and individual liberty this is about freedom. This is about not letting AI starve us, but letting us being the one in control of what we feed to the AI. All right. That being said, I will talk to you guys next time I talk to you. Hit me up at EurekaJohn1 on Twitter. Give me a subscribe on YouTube. Um, you know, subscribe on whatever podcast platform if you're listening. And I hope you enjoyed the show. I will talk to y'all later. Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically. If you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to shoot me a message. Thanks again.